The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, it's actually not even called that anymore. Right, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Nope, systemic exertional intolerance disease. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So not only did I come home to clean the fish tank, or should I say snail tank, mm -hmm. but Julie had pooped all over the bedroom floor. You should probably remind people that Julie is a cat and not a human. Doesn't matter anymore. I guess not. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman, how are you today? <laughs> Doing great, Patty. How are you doing? The same. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome everyone to this podcast called The Lab Report, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. By the way, it's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. <laughs> and if you'd like to be part of the Genova Diagnostics family, you can maybe go to iTunes, Spotify, maybe subscribe to the show, rate, review, leave us some stars there. Tell, your, tell people. Tell people about how great this show is. I mean, I, I don't know how great it is, but just tell them that anyway. <laughs> It's presumptive. If you have additional feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. Is your cat pooping on the floor? Is there any way to solve it? Please <laughs> provide me feedback at podcast at gdx.net. That would be very helpful. Or perhaps you have a snail in a fish tank that's completely empty of fish. Does it get lonely? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Does it want another snail or does it want fish or both? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Julie hates the snail. It's an act of defiance. Yeah, so if you want to know why I haven't written any jingles recently, it's because this is what I'm doing on my lunch break, <laughs> cleaning up poop. Dr. Ara and I are very happy about that, just me, saying. Me having to clean up poop all no, the time? No, no jingles. Well, I mean, just you wait, because, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's like when you hibernate for a little bit of time, oh, and then you come out of the gate. You come out swinging. Oh, Look yeah. out. Oh, yeah. It's gonna swinging be, for the it's fences. It's going to be epic. Oh, my gosh. Hashtag awfully epic. Anyway, what are we getting into today, Patty Devers? Well... We chose the topic of chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. And on further investigation, it's not even called chronic fatigue syndrome anymore. It's I, had several different names. Right. And it, get, it begs the question, should we have changed the title, perhaps? <laughs> but per we could, we, Perhaps. We, we couldn't go back and do it. It was too late in the game. <laughs> we already almost committed. already done. And truth be told, I mean, that's what most people kind of know it as. Right. And so if we had used some of the other names, no one would recognize what exactly we're talking about. So I think it's a good place to start right. with the name chronic fatigue syndrome. Right. But I think an important point is that much like when we did the migraine episode and we were talking about how migraines are not just a gradation of headache, chronic fatigue syndrome is more than just being tired. Sure, sure. And it makes me wonder, when was this first uh, kind of categorized? When did we first start talking about this as a chronic condition? You know, interestingly, it was documented way back in the 30s. What? Of an, it was kind of like an outbreak around the time of polio, okay. poliomyelitis. Okay. And it was just kind of called something vague, like epidemic neuromyasthenia, which is vague, right? Mm. And then they started to follow it as various outbreaks began to come out in Europe mainly, with like malaise and lymph nodes, sore throat, various things. And although they were identifying it, they weren't sure if it were was specifically infectious, but they then called it benign myalgic encephalomyelitis because people weren't dying from it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that was the term, that's the original term is mm -hmm. myalgic encephalomyelitis. That's right. Okay. And then even in the 60s, it 
kind of became a diagnosis. But then they started come up, coming up with diagnostic criteria, like muscle fatigue, like I just said, even after minimal effort, and then longer than three days, blah, 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 then a lot of fluctuation of symptoms. So it was all very vague, mm-hmm. rarely resulting in any type of mortality, but very disabling. And so they came up with the concept of dropping the word benign right. from it. But then the 80s came. Oh, the 80s. Don't get me started on the 80s. No, but what happened was essentially here in the United States, we started to draw attention to mononucleosis quite a bit in the Mm -hmm. mid-80s. And so what was being characterized and and thought of as kind of some of this conglomerate of symptoms, such as sore throat, fatigue, swollen lymph nodes, headache, uh, arthralgia in some cases. And so it was initially linked to Epstein-Barr virus. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was sort of expanded quite a bit because they were actually originally calling it chronic Epstein-Barr. And so I think the funny thing is then eventually the CDC chose chronic chronic fatigue syndrome as kind of the the inclusive name for this conglomeration of symptoms. So it's kind of like this had existed, but over there, they were commonly referring to it as myalgic encephalomyelitis. We decided to do something different, Mm -hmm. like not use the metric system, and we called it (laughs) chronic fatigue syndrome. But what's interesting is it's even evolved further now that we're into the new century, and they're realizing it's more than chronic fatigue, and they're also realizing that you know, myalgic encephalomyelitis isn't an actual good term to use because it's, it's kind of inferring that there's active inflammation of the myelin in your brainstem, which doesn't appear to be the case either. Hmm. And chronic fatigue syndrome doesn't appear to be as descriptive as it can be. So more recently, they've evolved this into a whole new diagnostic term. Yeah, so in 2015, the Institute of Medicine recommended the illness be renamed Systemic Exertion Intolerance Disease, SEID. And they also proposed new diagnostic criteria, um, which might be the the next place we go here, is kind of evaluating what this diagnostic criteria is. Okay, now, to add even further insult to injury, there are many different sets of definitions of diagnostic criteria for this. There are Canadian consensus, there's international consensus, and each is different, but there are a lot, there's a lot of overlap. A lot of it is vague. What's the American consensus? I mean, that's what matters, right? We're the leader of the free world. We should have our own, con- and we apparently just forget what everyone else has done along the way and make up our own stuff, so... Are you implying that the United States makes up their own stuff? <laughs> I never <laughs> said that. What are you talking about? Well, well, like I said, every country and internationally has different criteria. But the CDC, in general, has really adopted what they call the Fukuda definition of chronic fatigue syndrome, which is really just unexplained, persistent, relapsing fatigue that is new, not the result of exertion, not alleviated by rest, and results in reduction of previous levels of exertion. But there's also additional symptoms that they say maybe four or more of the following, things like short-term memory or concentration problems, sore throat, lymph nodes, muscle pain, joint pain, headaches, post-exertional malaise. There's a lot there. And in fact, there's also talk about it being as an association to various infectious diseases like viral illnesses. So I don't know where we go from here, Michael. I got it. Why don't we go here? Because, as I said, in 2015, the Institute of Medicine sort of set out their own future recommendations for diagnostic criteria. And they're a lot more simple. Good. Essentially, 
having three of the following symptoms. Okay. First one is substantial reduction or impairment in the ability to engage in pre-illness levels of occupational, educational, social, personal activities that persist for more than six months and is accompanied by some of these things like fatigue. Um, and then that alongside post-exertional malaise and unrefreshing sleep. Hmm. Now, they also have to have at least one of the two following things as well. So cognitive impairment is one of them, mm-hmm. or orthostatic intolerance. So autonomic dysfunction? Kinda. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're trying to really kind of narrow this down. But uh, I don't know. One of the limitations in my mind is that there's also a lot of other common symptoms that you mentioned, like muscle pain, sore throat, mm-hmm. irritable bowel syndrome, right. chills, right. night sweats. Uh, sensitivities, multiple chemical sensitivities, shortness of breath. So there's a lot of other things that they just kind of brushed aside Mm -hmm. that could have been considered maybe more options other than just those two cognitive impairment and uh, orthostatic intolerance. So, Okay, so let's get into what actually happens. What's the cause here? And I know there's a lot of different areas of the body that are affected, clearly. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with one, the brain, right? Let's start with the neurological changes. Start with the simplest one. (laughs) You talked about autonomic nervous system dysfunction, right? Uh Things like orthostatic problems. Then there's also problems with mood disorders. They found that there could be a lower metabolism of the brainstem and reduced blood flow to areas of the brain that can be consistent with neurologic illness, but not necessarily depression or psychosocial illness. But the World Health Organization does say that it is a central nervous system disease. Yeah, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. Some of these studies where they did either PET scans or various other imaging, uh, there was a PET study that reported much higher binding potential of this one metabolite, this tracer, uh, around various areas of the brain that showed neuroinflammation. So it goes back to the uh, asymphalomyelitis question mark, Mm -hmm. and maybe we should still leave that as a question mark, right? Because they showed binding to the hippocampus, amygdala, thalamus, midbrain, Pawns, good old pawns. <laughs> and even as they're doing functional MRIs, they saw some reduced basal ganglia activation, which could also contribute to that fatigue. And here's another interesting one where they talked about a radio tracer used to detect serotonin transporters. And in this one area of the brain, there was a smaller density of these serotonin transmitters. So there might even be some, you know, discrepant or problems going on with serotonin and its action in the brain. Okay, well, here's a study uh-huh. using spin echo MRI that showed midbrain white, gra- echo white matter and gray matter volume changing with fatigue onset. But that begs the bigger question, what in the world is spin echo MRI? Hold on, I have a jingle for that. Science this. Technology. Machine and mechanics. Lab stuff. Brutal. Well, this is simple, Michael. Okay. In magnetic resonance, right, electromagnetic radiation or nuclear magnetic resonance, Uh there's a single radio frequency pulse that generates free induction decay, or FID. But but two successive RF pulses can produce a spin echo, and the time between the middle of the first RF pulse and the peak of the spin echo is called the echo time. The 90-degree pulse first tips the spins into this transverse plane, but then the 180-degree pulse now turns the entire system on its head, an analogy to kind of like flipping a pancake is sometimes made. And then after the flip, it, the faster precessing spins now find themselves at the back of the pack with continued evolution as they continue to catch up with the slower spins. All 
All right. What I learned there is that I need to be much more selective about the questions that I'm asking. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is that in patients with systemic exertional intolerance disease, they do these spin echo MRIs and show white matter and gray matter volume changes with fatigue onset. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, aside from some of the changes that have been observed in central nervous system function, there's also been some immunological abnormalities that have been found, particularly decreased natural killer cell activity, hmm. um, and that correlates with the severity of symptoms. But not only that, they've also shown that there's, in response to exercise, increased production of complement proteins, increased oxidative stress, decreased antioxidant response, and increases of things like interleukin-10, toll-like receptor 4, which all correlate to symptom severity. It's, it's really interesting, and even like increased levels of cytokines cytokines, increased levels of lactate produced during exercise, all of which also correlate with symptom severity. So um, there really are some changes from an immune perspective. And, you know, it does kind of beg the question, too. It makes me wonder how much of this is a, maybe a little bit chicken and the egg, too. I was thinking that because there's an association with all these viral illnesses. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, is this causative or just correlative? Right. So we've got changes in brain function, we've got changes in the immune system and its tolerance. What else? Well, when I think about fatigue, right, or if I think of someone who's having a hard time, you know, not sleeping well, I always think of the HPA axis, which sure. we talk about all the time on this show. And they've shown that some of the patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, now called systemic exertional intolerance disease, may have slightly lower cortisol levels and decrease of the variation of cortisol throughout your day. And in fact, decreased responsiveness overall in the HPA axis and even a blunted car cortisol awakening response, uh -huh. which is interesting. And they've also shown that there's some correlations with some parameters around autoimmune antibodies being produced. And lastly, not surprisingly, issues around energy metabolism and specifically mitochondrial abnormalities oh, in cellular okay. energy production, which, you know, really, when you think about it, should not be that surprising. Right. Okay, well, all of these are pretty pretty objective findings, right? So yeah. there's thing we talked about funky MRIs, we talked about mitochondrial dysfunction, we talked about cortisol. Right. All of these things are measurable. Right. And so I guess my next question to you then would be, what's the test that diagnoses systemic exertional intolerance disease? Yeah, and that's interesting because there, there kind of isn't one, right? We've got mm -hmm. diagnostic criteria, but they're not related to test results. And then as we just listed, there's a lot of different biomarker abnormalities that might be found. But there's several other things that could also cause those sort of things. And so what we have is a, a problem around, first, you have to rule out any potential medical condition outside of chronic fatigue or SEID. And there's a lot of things that you have to rule out, right? There's things like there diabetes, infectious diseases, Epstein-Barr, tuberculosis. Like there's infectious diseases, right. there's autoimmune conditions on here. There's, you know, all sort of anemia, hypothyroidism. Like you've got to kind of go through the list. And that's one of the issues that we run into with sort of a, a, a diagnosis of exclusion. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, if you go through the literature, all of these people list all of these diagnostic tools. And in fact, most of them are different inventory or questionnaires or mm -hmm. surveys. And so now what? Why do we have those if it's just these specific criteria? Well, the CDC recommends using some of these questionnaires, but many of them are fatigue scales. So oh, that's going to okay. help you get more of an objective understanding of how severe the fatigue is, when it started, what it's related to. That's going to help you at least assess for one of those, the primary element of, of this condition, which is that, that prolonged fatigue. 
Yeah, and you know, as I mentioned, Patty, there's there's so many different symptoms that accom- can accompany this condition, mm-hmm. and it's you know, there's words here like allodynia, anhedonia, mm-hmm. and it makes me think about that how I'm always railing about how we're adding these scientific names <laughs> to oh. very simple things. You mean like syncope and passing exactly, out, or exactly, epistaxis and nosebleed. And so I've got okay. this idea that uh. that maybe. I can quiz you and I can I can give you a couple of these and you you tell me what they are. We can do what is it? Here's my problem. What's that? Every time you come up with one of these games, right? I end up on Instagram in your story as a quiz to say, could you have beaten Patty in this game? So I'm a little bit nervous, as you know. I get nervous of these games. That's good content. What is what it? Is what, it? Is what is it? Why, why are you hitting that already? I gotta what warm is, it up. Is, is, no, stop. Are you ready? <laughs> no, Patty. Not. What is it? Uh-huh. Your first word. Go ahead. Horripilation. Uh, is that another name for a Charlie horse? That is not. Okay. That's incorrect. Those are goosebumps. Okay. All right. Your next word. Sternutate. Oh. That's like when you get pain in your endoplasmic reticulum. That's no. incorrect. That's actually a sneeze. Come on. Are you ready? No. Formication. Mm, I think that's like the southern ladies when they would swoon, they get the vapors. Uh, no, that is the sensation of insects crawling on your skin. Oh, come on. How about sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia? It's something in your mouth that hurts, clearly. Um, you can do canker it. Canker sore? No. Nope, that is a brain freeze. Oh, come on. How about abdormition? That's a strain of German measles. Nope, that is when your leg or arm falls asleep after you've been like laying on it and it goes numb. Oh, yeah. All right, here's another one. Go ahead. Morsicatio bucherum. Sometimes I think you make things up just to mess with my brain, but I actually think this is a good one because this is a very timely summer topic. This is when water gets in your ear when you're in the pool and you can't get it out. That's wrong. That is the ridge that forms in your cheek after you've bitten your cheek, you know, and then like it heals and it forms that little ridge. That's no, called a morsicatio bucherum. You made that up. All right. Last one. Are you ready? No. This is vasalgia. Vasalgia. Spell it. V E I S A L G I A A. G I A. Sorry. I have a slight vasalgia this morning. Headache? No, that's cephalgia. What's visalgia? Is it an antibiotic? That would be a hangover. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now clearly that buzzer is definitely smoking this time, and I foresee me being in your Instagram story making fun of me based on that whole, like, game we just played. Oh, for sure. But to be fair, I I don't think... Anyone's going to know that. I've but, never heard of those words before. But they will correct me on is I said I have a vasalgia. It's probably a case of vasalgia, mm. which I, I don't have. I just <laughs> did that for humor. Um, and there's probably other things that I mispronounced. So, you know, just don't at me, guys. Okay, well, let's bring this back to S-E-I-D. Yeah, let's do that. We've had enough syndrome. fun. I know, I know. Well, it sounds as if that the symptoms of S-E-I-D are vast yeah. and wide. Yeah. And it sounds as if they can be quite debilitating, right? For sure. So the question then becomes, if we've talked about all of the things and all of the modalities to diagnose this, the question is now, what do you do about it? How do you help a patient going through this? That's a good question. There's, there's several things that have been studied, um, and there's several things that have shown to to have either minimal benefit or no benefit. Hmm. Um, That's so th- not promising. 
Well, you know, I like to start with the bad news oh, first. Okay. Okay, and then the good news is that there are also other things that have shown a bit of promise. Okay. So, uh, you know, from a therapy standpoint, we've talked about, or we should mention first exercise. And okay. exercise is one of the things that has shown to be, to, to help in chronic fatigue syndrome. Although it's tricky because you don't, you have to do exercise pacing, essentially. You have to make sure that you're tracking it very carefully because as the name suggests, this is exertion is problematic in general. So it's, yeah. you have to build up tolerance to exercise. But over the long term, if you're doing that, there has been shown to be benefit there. Some people call it graded exercise therapy or get. Right. But it's really just pacing of exercise. Yeah, that's true. And this is another thing that's interesting, right? So the CDC states that counseling may help patients cope with uh, pain caused by chronic fatigue syndrome. But the studies that have been done on cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. have basically shown no efficacy. And so it kind of, it relates to maybe this idea around, you know, it, we've talked about the idea of chronic fatigue, having this stigma associated with it. And that right. was part of why the name change may have been needed or warranted. And the fact that the CDC is recommending, Hey, you know, maybe these people need counseling sort of hints at that, even though there's no studies yeah. to show that it's effective. It's like, Got well, it. maybe there's some sort of, you know, psychological or mood component to this. Um, so they're trying to, it, it almost feeds into that whole thing of does. this doesn't exist. But in fact, if they're pushing that b- cognitive behavioral therapy, there's no research to say that it even helps. Right. So they're feeding that same for vicious cycle. Yes. But another thing that's interesting about some of these treatments is there's uh they've used this drug. Oh, medicine? Medication? Yes. Yeah. Rintatolimat. Trade name Amplogen. And so... Yeah, Amplogen. And so this is a an NRA, a double-stranded NRNA drug um, that's designed to kind of modulate an antiviral immune reaction. And so it gets me thinking that h- how much of this syndrome mm-hmm. is more so related to the immune changes that have happened. And it, it makes me wonder, too, about like chronic infections, Epstein-Barr. Well, it makes sense. Epstein-Barr think infection. Back. Yeah. Like all of these outbreaks had to do with things like polio, Epstein-Barr, mononucleosis. And I wonder if any of this might come about for long-haul COVID patients. I wonder if that's a thing. So, yeah. And now we know about rintotolamod. Tolamod. Amplogen. But I think, suffice it to say, this is something that deserves a lot of attention. And indeed, there is actually an... MECFS Awareness Day, which is May 12th. Um, but another thing that's interesting is they've done estimates on the economic impact of this condition. And in a 2008 study, they calculated that the total annual cost burden in the U.S. was approaching $24 billion, Whoa. which puts it in line with some of the biggest chronic diseases. Whoa. That's $3.3 billion pounds sterling in the UK. (laughs) And I think importantly, you know, some in the medical community doubt that this is actually even a thing. And I think we've proven today that not only is this a thing, it deserves ongoing study, ongoing research, because people are profoundly affected by this. And there's got to be more that we can do about it. Next time on The Lab Report, a functional medicine approach to sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. (laughs) Brain freeze. That's right. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. 
call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. All right, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Go ahead. Seventh grade. Okay. I bought a legit disco ball. Dude, do you still have it? N- no. No. But wait, in seventh grade, it was like the 1990s or something for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think it was like my preteen revolutionary spirit already coming into play, so revolting against the 90s music. I was just going to say, so all your friends are wearing flannel and listening to grunge and you're in flare pants with a disco ball? No, think about it this way. We went from Nirvana, Green Day, and Weezer to Hootie and the Blowfish and the Backstreet Boys. And I was like, I'm out. I'm done. So, so I'm you, done with this transition. You immediately grabbed the polyester and went backward. That the, you, that's the only way to go if that's where <laughs> forward is.